In this episode, I interviewed Glenn Corcoran, who is a high-performance manager at Bond University. What we covered in this episode was starting off just kind of what a high-performance manager does, what a high-performance manager center looks like, Bond particularly, the one that Glenn works at, how he manages multiple different teams, what the goals are for these multiple different athletes, what teams he works with as in the staff when trying to deliver this uh, best care for the athletes. And after we talked about kind of the high performance system, the high performance manager role, we go into Glenn's experiences coaching different athletes as he has an experience of working with a, a broad range of athletes. So we kind of talked about the specifics and the different goals of different types of athletes. So we kind of have a different groupings, talked a little bit about just general field base, contact athletes, what the general goals are for there. We even went into a little bit of specifics of um, rugby versus gridiron or American football, some little bit differences in there. Then we talked about the main focuses for training more endurance based as his experiences in this as well. And then we just kind of finished off in general with some tips that Glenn has for the athletes and then for strength and conditioning coaches or healthcare practitioners working within the sports setting. So getting some good quality information on a broader range of topics. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through your life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Glenn Corcoran, who is a high performance manager at Bond University. Um, Glenn's had experience working with many teams over the years um, and has, is working with multiple right now at the moment. So it's going to be kind of a broad uh, topic, but I really do want to talk about the high performance model kind of starting and how he's kind of built this at Bond, and then we can kind of dive more into his past experiences. So really appreciate you being on, Glenn. Uh, if you first just kind of want to give a background on yourself, introduce yourself, what you've done in the past, um, and you don't have to go, I guess, into everything because I know you've done a lot, but just kind of some general overviews uh, in, like I said, qualifications and education and so on. Yeah, no problems at all. Um, I first started uh, with rugby uh, in Central West New South Wales with uh, Bathurst Bulldogs when I was there. Um, so rugby's been a sort of a bread and butter for me for a long while, for over 20 years. Um, from that point there, I've worked uh, with St. Stanislaus College, Central Western Country Rugby Union, uh, Canberra Vikings, Eastern Suburbs and Parramatta in Sydney, and now here at Bond, uh, and also did uh, the Australian Wallaroos for the World Cup in France and uh, a majority of their prep for their Island World Cup before I accepted the job here at Bond. So um, I was in the first, uh, I think I'm actually the first person that ever completed their level three strength and conditioning. Um, so I have that one there. I also have Masters of Exercise Science in Strength and Conditioning through Edith Cowan. Um, my bachelor's was in rehab. Uh, I also have my level three uh, master's coaching uh, certification as well, as well as certified strength and conditioning coach and a registered strength and conditioning coach through the NSA in America. So it's one of those ones that as it's progressed along, like back when I started, strength and conditioning was one of those things where uh, if you weren't playing anymore, you'd probably just have a crack at it. Whereas as it's gone along, you've got to keep up to it. So you just keep moving on with your qualifications, doing as much as you can to keep on top of things and and, and really making sure you know what you're doing so your athletes get the best you can. Yeah, yeah, good advice there. Uh, maybe just kind of go into now what uh, you, you're you doing now uh, currently at Bond. So kind of talk about your role as a high-performance manager there and kind of how, I guess, the transition was from that being a strength conditioning coach going into more of a, the manager role um, and kind of, yeah, and then what you do in that. Yeah, so um, in that background, I uh, was at Macquarie Uni and uh, ANU in Canberra uh, running their um, sports facilities there and their gyms. Macquarie Uni has quite a substantial big gym there with over 7,000 members. And with both of those roles, uh, also got involved with working with their uh, university teams. Uh, ANU in Canberra also has a pretty high profile rowing program as well for a small university. Um, so doing that and then from those uh, two positions there at Macquarie Uni, um, I got contacted by one of the professors here at Bond and said there was a position coming up um, 
they'd purchased the High Performance Centre here, which was originally set up for the Titans Rugby League side, um, and they wanted to establish it. So basically, when I come up and had a look at the facility, it was pretty amazing. Like any strength and conditioning coaches out there, it's one of those ones where you walk into and go, yep, this is where I'd like to be. <laughs> Um, and it basically started from scratch. So you sort of really got a, a bit of a free reign on where to go with it. There was no uh, advertising at that stage for it. We just did a soft opening and said, here we are and started working from there. So um, I suppose the directive here at the High Performance Centre is, is that uh, with the students and that on campus that are doing uh, sports science or um, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, masters and degrees in all those, um, those faculties have the opportunities to book the High Performance Centre to do practical sessions and that for their uh, students down here uh, with us. We also have, Bond have, uh, is only a small university with about 6,000 students, but they're pretty prominent with their sports programs. So they have five tier one sports here, which are AFL, men's and women's, rugby, men's and women's, swimming, triathlon and netball. And those teams we actually specifically look after through here. So that's the sort of remit that I have. And then outside of those booking times for those um, bond associated programs, we then can bring in high performance sports, international, national sports to come in and use the centre as well, whether it be for camps uh, and that sort of thing to pre for pre-season, whether it's training here for a couple of days and recovery when they come up to play games in Queensland, all that sort of thing. And basically the first few teams have come through and with the um, the amount of Facebook that's out there now when teams use it here and promote what you're doing, um, it sort of becomes a, a real flow on effect. And, um, and I have to hand it to, we had one of our professional AFL sides, which was the Adelaide Crows were the first uh, basically professional side that come through uh, that have a, Facebook following about 280,000. As soon as they put it out there, it became pretty prominent and a lot of teams jumped on board with that to the point uh, at this point now where we have the Gold Coast is a hub for the AFL at the moment and we have had eight of the professional AFL sides using here between eight and 15 sessions a week. So at the moment, it's turned out really good for us. <laughs> yeah, must be must be busy with uh, dealing with all the bond sports and having AFL come through as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the good part is that the uh, our actual team sports are the same as most semi-professional amateur sports, where they want to use the centre from four o'clock through till in the evening. Whereas the professional sports um, have that ability to be able to come up, and they'll want to use it between eight and four. So it's downtimes usually anyway, and they get yeah. exclusive use to here. So it works in well all round. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I guess what kind of expanding upon that, what would you say? Or, what professionals do you work with uh, other than just your strength and conditioning coaches um, with the bond teams to try um, and make sure you get the best overall care for the athlete when you're kind of being in a high performance manager role? Yeah, well, so with, uh, as to high, my role is a little bit um, different as well. Like, so I'm the high performance facility manager here, but I also look after the, um, the S&C for the netball and the um, rugby union sides directly. Um, with one of the other coaches that's here, Rick Martin. So we look after that between us. So uh, in those situations, most of the teams uh, operate a little bit independently where they'll have uh, different physios they access to help them with their programs, uh, whether it be on court and on field. Uh, and then obviously they have their doctors associated from there as well. So generally at the start of any of those programs, we the physios will screen all the athletes um, and go through that, give us a pretty comprehensive report on any issues or injuries players have had or um, imbalances that they might have that need addressing. And uh, a lot of times they're giving, given specific exercises from the physios to do there, but then we pick them up from there, work with that and develop them through to bring them back to speed where the rest of the team is so they can integrate into full training with us as well. Okay, yeah, so just collaborating kind of with the physios as well um, to bring them back up as soon as possible. Yeah, that's right. So, like, you know, obviously the athlete um, is the important one in that. Um, there's always that sort of cross, whether it be an amateur sport or, or professional sport, where, you know, the coaches want the athletes back as quick as they can. The doctors would like to see them stay out longer. And I suppose between the S&C and the physios, you're sort of managing that a little bit to 
to get the best of both worlds because um, like, you know, no matter what teams you're looking at, if you take the two best players out of any side, the team's got a whole different look about it to what it would normally have. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the crux of it is is to have those top players or players available for the most amount of minutes that the coaches want them is the, is the crucial thing for a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so, so since you have all these different professionals kind of working together uh, and the facilities you have, what would you say um, kind of the goal is in general of or the kind of the goal and vision of um, Bond High Performance and your care to the athletes? Yeah, well, our aim is like for Bond High Performance here, like for our teams, like those Tier 1 sports are all in uh, premier competition. So um, Bond is a little bit different in the way to the other, especially with the rugby sides that we're dealing with to a a lot of the clubs where um, the success is based on um, what you win and and getting that end result, which is obviously what we want as well. But they have a really big focus at the university of developing athletes that are coming through uh, to get to that next level. So a big thing for us is those young athletes making sure that they come through in a nice progressive controlled um, physical peak as opposed to trying to rush them through to get them into the team Um, because for us moving them from first grade cults then in the first grade uh, we have an alignment where obviously in Queensland here their aim is to get through to the Reds or pick up super rugby contracts or into Reds academies so the idea is is for us it's just as big a success to have four players be taken out of our squads and into those higher levels and what it is, you know, that to actually win premierships. So ideally we'd like to do both, but uh, like having that progressive pathway is really plus for us here. Yeah. So that's an interesting point. Whereas uh, you are, one of the main goals is to kind of progress them along from being uh, when they initially come in, which I'm assuming is when they're not super into strength and conditioning. And then when they kind of go on after that, then they develop and they are, are a lot more experienced within the weight room. Uh, so that's kind of a unique thing that you'd say the the program has. Yeah, and, and like like you said, with the young players, whether they be netball players, which a, a lot of those younger players coming through the girls there haven't been subjected to weights at all. Uh, with the rugby, you get uh, different schools like here close to where we are. Obviously, we've got um, TSS, which is a high profile rugby school. Well, there. Their strength and conditioning programs are very sound, and the athletes are already there. Whereas you kids coming up from other schools that have had no experience so you're in a situation where you have a team there where you've got the two ends of the extremities I suppose um, trying to integrate them into one and bring the other guys up to the same level where they're at and and play catch up a little bit so a lot of it is about educating the athlete as well knowing that you can take your time it's better off to go through and do this properly for the long-term development than what it is to get lifted up a grade really quickly and not be ready for it because sometimes to get into those rep sides like whether it be into super rugby or super netball you might only get one shot uh, to go up there and if you've sort of got a lot of talent but not physically prepared and you go up and you're just not ready for it and it's obvious you don't look right you maybe not get that chance again so you're sort of trying to educate them that if they put in the work and get to that level when they get the opportunity that confident that they're ready to take it yeah i do think uh that's i think expanding knowledge of what i guess strength conditioning does um with trying to improve performance and reduce injury is something that um um, we need to or that still needs to be out there and is not uh understood as much so i think yeah that's that's a good point of trying to hold them back to make them ready before they go on uh i guess kind of another question building off that when you have uh i guess screw up mainly working with rugby what and then you've had to expand a lot in the past bit trying with all these different sports with the high performance manager roles how do you have any advice or how do you try and make sure you understand every sport to give them the best um, programs that you're able to deliver and help them develop and reduce the risk of their injury specific to their sport and so on a lot of that uh, becomes communication at the start um over the years like I've had, like with individual athletes, some fairly varied ones. Like uh, when I was in Canberra at ANU, we had um, an Australian uh, fencer, like in Epe. Uh, We had an MMA 
professional MMA fighter there. Uh, at the moment, I do a former world champion in uh, mountain bike trials. Um, so there's lots of different variations there. So if you've got sports, um, for instance, like rowing or triathlon or MMA, where they've got good coaches with them, it's good to sit down with the coach first to get an idea of, you know, what's required of your athlete. Like they might go, well, this is the area I feel he's weak in. Um, you then talk to the athlete and they might have a completely different perspective on where they think they need work as opposed to the coach. And then you've really got to have a look at the sport then itself. Like generally, I always ask the coaches or athletes, have they got any video of what they've been doing, especially with fencing? I'd never had anything to do with that before. We also had um, archery as well. Um, just to look at what they're doing so you get an idea because you don't really have to know the ins and outs of the sport. You've really just got to understand what's working and what the body's got to do to be able to deliver what they're after. And sometimes looking from the outside, it's not as obvious as until you actually talk to the coach and players. And sometimes in that instance, you get the best info from the player when they or athlete when they go, yeah, well, I always end up sore when I do this or this is where I've had injuries before. And then you can just progress from there with the physios and doctors and go, okay, what do we need to do here? What's the best way to get that there? So again, it's, you know, I think like with strength and conditioning, um, the same as with all the medical people and the, the players and coaches, it's all, everything comes down to the communication. That's the really key for everything. You can have less, less knowledge if you're prepared to listen and talk to people as opposed to thinking you know everything and just going gung-ho into it. Yeah, so that's okay. That's good to hear. With so you're saying, um, it's not. It's not like you have to been playing the sport your whole entire life growing up. Just being a professional, analyzing, kind of the movement, talking to the coaches, seeing what their goals are, and using your knowledge and applying it to um, their setting is definitely enough to get them the benefit and, and results that they're looking for. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a bit like you know, even when you take it to that next extent, like you don't have to be a good tennis player to be a good tennis coach so and when you're looking at like a sport where you're actually coaching the actual skills of that sport you've got to know the insides and outsides of that sport which is really helpful as a strength and conditioning coach as well but strength and conditioning coaches generally in most won't have the opportunity to just work with one sport so even when I was just doing rugby I would have had five or six other sports going as well so and a lot of times it's not such a bad thing because if you've got different field sports and they have their set ways on doing stuff and you can look at a, a hockey training session with another snc coach and go geez that's not a bad drill but i could change that for rugby and that would work really well like this so all the time you just got to be open to learning and looking at stuff and we all have drills and things that we do that look good on paper and no matter how many times you try them, you go, that just doesn't work for whatever reason. And uh, so it's just being open and having that good relationship with the players uh, is really important because as a strength and conditioning coach, you probably have more to do with the players than anyone else. Um, you're never really making any decisions on selections or dropping players or bringing them up. So you don't have that same um, relationship where you know, you're making those crucial decisions. So generally the players tend to open up to you a little bit more. They're a little bit more open about what they're doing, how they're feeling, because if they tell the coach that, you know, they're feeling pretty fatigued or they're thinking, well, am I going to get dropped for this Saturday? Whereas with the SNC, they're quite happy to go, look, I feel a little bit like this. Is there anything I can do? And it's more that relationship there that makes a lot of difference in how you go about training your athlete as well. Yeah, for sure. So since um, I guess the next topic we can look at is just kind of grouping. So you, since you've worked with these multiple different types of athletes, grouping some general um, different types of athletes in and kind of talking about your how you like to train or what are the main points you like to look at when training these certain athletes. So I guess since first off with just a general field-based contact athlete, since being rugby and AFL is kind of a prominent sport here and your background, I guess what would you say your main – resistance training focuses wise are for um, those kind of contact field-based sports and then conditioning wise I understand it's going to be quite different within the sport but maybe just start with the resistance training and kind of go from there yeah so with the res with the resistance training like I'm pretty set on a lot of those field sports and that like one of the big things that 
is really important to me is if you can if you could just work on one thing and you could only improve one thing for those sports and it, and it grows across most sports like the thing that you'd want to be is stronger so no matter what you do strength is a big benefit eventually it'll it'll uh, help improve or allow you to move on to power work the stronger you are the more resilient you are on the field um, the more confident you are in your ability and the more competent you are in, in being able to produce the skills and that physical confrontation you get in most combat type sports. Uh, and even netball, you know, when I first started doing netball, the big thing with it was, you know, it's not a contact sport. So once you get into that at a higher level, you realize that's not right. <laughs> um, so you want those athletes. So when I first started doing uh, training netball, we trained them very much along the same lines as uh, rugby. We did a lot of, stuff in the gym that was combative um, landing and drop drills and that that had people you know push them off balance when they land make the contacts which are not theoretically allowed but actually occur so you've got to be ready for that so the big thing for those sports is just strength if you can just do keep it really simple you don't have to be really fancy with it you just got to get those athletes strong it makes a huge huge difference in not only their physicality and their uh, confidence in their physical preparation but also with their mental state knowing they've done the work and are really confident to get out there and, and compete so that's a really important part with the weight side of it um, the conditioning like I said that varies a lot from sport to sport so you know you look at stuff um, like in relation to AFL obviously they'll all still benefit like everyone still benefits from that strength training but once you get into the conditioning side of it that varies a lot with the distances that AFL players will run compared to what rugby players will run and the, what your um, netball players will do on court. So it all comes down to that. You've got to get that good aerobic base there because that aerobic base in your fitness level in that off season is what gives you that recovery. But then you look at what your sport entails. So with stuff like netball, you've just got short, sharp drives that, at maximum are probably going to be 20 metres at the most. You look at your rugby where it can go anywhere from that five metres through to 110 metres coming from your in goal. So it's important that a lot of the work that you do, even though the principles are similar where you're going to do speed work, you're going to do acceleration, deceleration, change of direction, it's the distances that you work with that are going to vary um, that you make more specific to your sport. And then hopefully after you do those sessions, the coaches then reinforce that by working on the skills and that that optimize what you've just done in the conditioning sessions as well and and again that's a communication thing where if you know what the coaches are going to do that night you can base your sessions uh, around that so they're prepared for that as well yeah so so keep it as simple as possible is the main goal of resistance training wise is just to increase that strength in general get them stronger and then the conditioning is really dependent upon the sport but trying to mimic as closely as possible to the sport yeah, Pretty that's exactly it. right. And and like you said, it's, it's communicating how you go about doing that and watching the sports and seeing how they do. And the thing is, too, you'll have different um, teams like with rugby where your team might have a really great attacking focus because of the players that you've got this year or you might have a coach that's really defensive oriented. So that can change the way you work as well. I know you've got to react to what the other team comes at you with, but if you've got a very defensive oriented coach well then you've got to do a lot of the drills and base a lot of it around that side of it as well to make it really succinct okay so depending on the strategy of the team as well kind of what they're going for yeah and like i said we've all had it where you know we've i've had teams where in country new south wales where the forward pack's been awesome and the backs have been average so the game has been all based around the forwards and you can win premierships by doing that because you played your strength and keep that around that so again you train to that if you know that you're not going to win much ball and you're always going to be defending well then you need to work that you can defend all day true so your your main point on increasing strength um and trying to with resistance training what how do you sell that to players and coaches because i know a lot of times you know they're not especially in season they don't want to be sore um, you know, they want to, especially with non-professional level over here, they only have two nights a week, a lot of time that they train. So how do you kind of g 
get sell them to get that across that it's important and we need to do this to um, reduce injury risk and improve performance. Yeah, well, we're the same here as well. Like with a lot of those semi-pro and amateur sports, you get the, the two days where you can train fitness work and a couple of days if you're lucky to train the weights. So again, it's you, you can have that ideal scenario on paper, what you need to do, but in reality, you're not going to get that. So firstly, keeping it really simple is important. So you get the players in where you can sit down with the coaches. We at Bond here with the rugby in particular and the netball, we sit the teams and coaches down and go through what the whole scenario is for the year and why the players have got to do this strength work. Like with the players, it's very easy if you can say to the coach, if they do more strength work and they're fit enough, you're going to have your best players available more. So that's a pretty easy sell for them. Um, with the players, understanding that a lot of the players are keen to do weights and and understand they mightn't like the fitness work so much, but they understand to be competitive, you've got to do that. But the one thing that I'm really passionate about is being absolutely set on the amount of times that you're going to do for these activities, like getting players in early, uh, leaving late, that destroys the culture of your club. Like everyone's got lives outside of sport. So they want to know when you turn up and you're going to start at six o'clock, it's going to start at six o'clock. So with our weights, we pretty much, unless players have um, injuries or other needs where they're going to train different exercises, as a, as a healthy squad, they'll come in and train pretty much the same, the whole squad, because it actually builds a good camaraderie in the gym because they're competing against each other. They're seeing what they do against each other, what the other guys are doing in their positions. But we sort of aim to get our players, when they walk in the door at the gym, whether it be rugby or netball, to walk in, do the set warm-up, do their weights and be out within an hour. So it keeps it efficient for them and people understand that if that's what their commitment is, they're going to come in and do that out and get it done. And it's the same with the conditioning sessions. Like with the coaches, I'll go, um, okay, on Tuesday night, you've got training starts at six. You've got half an hour straight off. They're pretty um, easy on letting you do what you want to do. Sometimes they might go on the weekend, we did this. So could we concentrate the fitness a bit more around this? That's all works in fine. But again, the players know that at 6.30, that bit's done. So that's the effort that we're asking. I'm not going to get to half an hour and then go, as a surprise, we're now going to do another 15 because I believe that all that does is train athletes to go, let's keep a bit in reserve because we don't know what else he's going to throw in there. So I like to work on those times. And if the athletes realise it's efficient, it's time efficient, and they just get the job done, get in, get out, it gets a lot more buy-in from coaches, parents, and players. So keeping it as simple as possible and staying strict to your guidelines and what you said. Okay. I think uh, another topic is with being uh, so heavily involved in rugby, I saw you did have some experience in uh, NFL or gridiron type American football as well. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about, because I feel like especially a lot of athletes and sometimes coaches, I guess, don't really, especially if they haven't watched rugby, um, don't realize how different those two sports are in general. Um, so maybe on the strength and power side, they're relatively similar, but can we maybe talk a little bit about how the conditioning side is vastly different and kind of how differently you train those two? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So um, I, when I, I uh, assisted uh, with the Australian gridiron side uh, a few years ago under Dan Jolly was looking after it from Western Australia. So a lot of the New South Wales, the majority of the team was on the East Coast and he was in Western Australia. So I helped him look after the, the players over here. So it is different. Um, I, I got some info on that. And one of the players gave me a book on how Gridiron or you know NFL started. And it showed the setup for rugby union and then how those positions extrapolated out into the same positions on NFL, which was a really novel way of looking at it and it, it made it a lot clearer for what they're after. Um, obviously the things that haven't had a, a huge amount to do with the, um, the gridiron side of it, but the difference is that the games go for a long while. Um, you've got a, a defensive side, you've got attacking side, you've got special teams. So the ball in play, the stoppages are huge. Um, you can be like, if you ever watch, you know, a game when there's two minutes left, you can be still watching half an hour later and there's still 
and half. So a lot more of it is based, it's really based around that power and strength phase. And, and some of the things are when you look at the testing battery that they use for, um, for their combines, it doesn't really change from school to college to semi-pro to pro. The difference is the amount of reps. And one of the ones that's interesting on that, so they do a 225 bench press to failure as one of their tests, which is 100 kilo in, in Australia. So if you're at school, you, you still do the 100 kilos and you might fail at six, you might fail at 10. And if you're in professional, you might push through and can get 30 at that. So all of their tests, when you've, they've got 40 yard sprints, they've got that uh, max bench press, they've got vertical jump, broad jump, 20 yard shuttle, 60 yard shuttle. Everything's based around that. Very rarely in the combines that I've done and been sent through to do, you don't get that yo-yo test or a beep test to see where they're at fitness-wise. Obviously, you still train that because you want that good recovery base, but the focus is all around those short, sharp, absolutely explosive movements, especially in those offensive and defensive lines. So you just want big bodies that know how to move forward and sideways quickly and at the fastest possible momentum and be able to maintain their balance, whether they be on single leg or halfway through a stride those are the things you've got to work on and look at for those types of sides compared to your rugby where you still all do that, but the game's pretty much non-stop for a lot of it. So you're not only delivering those power, that power performance and expecting power performance, but you're delivering it a lot of times under a lot of fatigue, which is a, is a whole different ball game. Yeah. So, so building off that, cause like I said, you said the diff- biggest difference is, you know, NFL plays last, you know, five-ish seconds, and then they get a rest, rest again. And whereas rugby is continuous, continuously flowing, how do you with rugby build or work on the power aspect um, and dealing with fatigue? How, how do you kind of combine those to be able to create this athlete that's powerful and strong but doesn't fatigue as well? Yeah, so in the gym, like I said, answering the questions there around that power and that, the stuff we do in the gym as well like with scrums we'll have variations so players will still do your squats and your deadlifts your power cleans those general exercises that you do for that um we have um in rugby they have what they call um jackal over the ball which is at the breakdown where there's a player on the ground the first players want to come in and, and secure that ball uh, and what happens is that's got to be an explosive movement where you come in, you get one chance to pick that ball up. If you don't and you grab again, you get a penalty against you. So it's just that one hit. So just an example of that where if you think outside the space, we set up a, um, a simulated person on the ground with instead of a football on the other side of it, we put a, a 10 kilo dead ball, uh, which is something that if they don't get a good solid lock on it, they're not going to be able to pick it up. And then we put a, a band around their waist and put that back five metres and work on the fact that we just say, go, they explode off the line. So it's explosive to there. They get in that position hard over the ball, pick it up, sit it down and then go back. And what that's training them to do is if you had a football there, they'd come in and pick it up pretty soft because it's a 10 kilo dead ball. They know that they've got to latch onto that and grab and have that crack at it for a start. And they just do that as part of their weights routine. Um, as they're going through, they just work on that. And the same as uh, the front rowers in the scrum, we set up a, a vertical push on the racks where we have bands set up where they drive the rack forward, the bands are pushing. We add different weights on bands on either side to simulate that if a scrum's going sideways, left or right, um, you can load it up on one side so it's pulling down or lifting up just so they uh, everything doesn't happen in a straight plane. It, it teaches them that that core's got to keep reacting and moving to be able to get the forces and work those areas that an opposition front row is going to put you through. So it's a matter of hitting that. And then when you get onto those field conditions then where in some sports you might do obvious sprint work and speed work with full rest in between to get the that max velocity or max speed that you're aiming at. With the rugby forwards, a lot of times with them we'll do those sprints they still do the sprints with a lot of rest as well but we'll work that where they'll drive through they'll drop and roll on a cone they up they hold a line they push they drop and roll and generally i work down the cones with them so they call the break off the line 
if they break early because they want to get away early, I just blow up and go, that's one penalty you would have give away, that's another penalty you would have give away. And you just keep reinforcing all the way and then they're doing that under fatigue. And a lot of times what we do with the coaches as well um, is that sometimes you'll do your fitness sessions first with your, with your players. Um, you'll do those first and then they go to their skills drills with the coaches. Other times we'll do the warm-up and they'll do their skills with the coaches and then come to the, um, the heavy conditioning session last. So what's happening is you get a chance for the coaches to work with the players when they're fully fresh, they, they, their minds are clear and they're ready to listen and, and take those drills in. Then we also want to see what they can deliver when they're fully fatigued and that whole decision-making process is put under stress. So I suppose in a way what you're trying to do is the stuff they do at training is going to be worse than what they're likely to get in the game for consistency. Okay. Um, and then, so you said you mentioned a little bit about kind of doing things sort of when you like with the scrums and the med balls, and stuff like that. Um, do you try and incorporate more of that stuff that's outside of just your general lifting, like, you know, your general squat deadlift, not that you're saying it's a main focus or anything, but is there anything else outside of that that you like to, um, focus on that's not necessarily the norm i guess in strength and conditioning yeah well like for for us in the in the gym itself when we have them in over here like i said we do that work where you know they're doing those drives onto those bars for front rowers we also do the chains and banded jumps for um second rowers and that for their height or fullbacks just coming in um the things that we like to also work on at the end of sessions is is like obviously in the condition session, conditioning sessions, we do a lot of change of direction. We do acceleration, deceleration drills, so they work in their quads eccentrically, braking hard. A lot of team sports will just train speed in a straight line, whereas if you look at contact sports or even just field sports that are not so much contact, some of the way you make ground or, or create spaces by pushing hard, braking, cutting left, cutting right. So there's a lot of extra forces there on those muscles. So you train them in the conditioning sessions, but in the gym, we also like to put those in with plyometrics where um, we'll do variations of jumps and drops where they'll jump single leg, they'll drop and land in a split stance, they'll drop and land single leg and hold, they'll jump and land single leg hold. We get them to jump onto the plyo boxes left and right and land and hold on the inside leg and land and hold on the outside leg because they're all the things that without realizing it you do in the game and it's important that the body understands those dynamics of when you're landing and it's not controlled where i'm going to say you're now going to jump left where you're actually i'm just going to run at you and try and step right and beat you where my focus is on you and where i'm going it's not on where i'm going to place my foot and how that's going to react you want to sort of train it so your body is trained that that's a natural thing for it to do. So I think that's a really important part for that trying to assist in reducing injuries and that as well, where you're putting the body through those stresses in a controlled environment. So they're more akin to be able to have positive outcomes in that random environment that's out on the field and, and reduce the chance of injuries or getting into those positions that are likely to create injuries. Okay. Yeah. So training the body in a controlled to then reduce it uncontrolled okay uh i guess we uh does a really good coverage on kind of that field-based contact sports that sport athlete but I, I know you mentioned you work with some swimmers or i've worked with some swimmers and rowers in the past so maybe um talking a little bit about uh even in so endurance athlete based kind of their uh, resistance training program then if you even do any type of conditioning um with them since their sports relatively a lot of conditioning yeah so with um, rowing and triathlon, I've had a, a reasonable amount to do with it at, um, in the past. And generally there, sometimes with some of the sports, it's a little bit harder to convince um, coaches that in sports such as triathlon that you're basically training for three different sports, there becomes a, an issue there of time. So it's a matter of prioritizing and a lot of times coaches obviously don't want to give up swimming time or running time or bike time to do extras in the gym. So uh, uh, sometimes with that, it's a little bit hard to convince them that that's where they need to, to be, even if it's just 
short and sharp and really efficient. You've got to sell them the fact that what you're going to do is really efficient for them. But any increases in strength, whether you look at it being in swimming or whether you've got triathletes that always seem to fail on the uphills or that sort of stuff, that's where you convince them that that extra work in the gym and giving them that extra strength to be able to go up the same hill at the same sp- at the same pace, you're going to be using a lesser percentage of your overall strength to do that. So once you get them on board with that, it's fine. Um, so rowing and, and, and triathlon, no dramas with getting them into the gym. Conditioning-wise, my experience with both of those sports is the general scenario is the coaches go, everything we need endurance-wise is going to get on what we do on the water, in the pool, on the bike and actually running, which I don't have any real issues with that. I think if I can get those athletes stronger so they can handle that more, trying to get extra time for a triathlete that's going to be a distance triathlete, whether cycling marathon distances or running marathon distance, it gets to the point where someone's got to give and go, we need to do less of this for the sake of the athlete to be at their optimum level. You can't just keep loading. So the big things there are just really selling the efficiency of what you want to do and just say, if I can get them into the gym twice and we just do half an hour, 40 minutes, we can make it better for you and go from there. Hmm. So this, even the resistance training side is relatively, it's the same goal pretty much as, the, you know, your, your field-based and contact sports, the same goal you're going after to achieve that. Yeah. Is- so like I said, a lot of times, like you'll, you'll go with, um, with, with rugby where, you know, coaches will go, I need this player five kilos heavier. I need this player to put on this amount of weight. Like, like in theory, a lot of times that's good, but whether you get the time and the amount of application from an amateur athlete to be able to give that time to do that, I just think the bang for your buck is with strength all the time. Like if they're training strength and getting good gains in their strength, they'll, they'll put on a little bit of weight, probably not as much as what you might if you're in a full hypertrophy program. But I look at it and think if you've got a, a bigger body that's not as strong or you've got a body that's two kilos heavier but 30% stronger than they were last year, which athlete would be the best athlete in your team? And I look at it and go, I'd take the slightly smaller guy that's really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And definitely, even increasing strength, and there's a lot of studies out there on injury risk reduction just with, you know, increasing strength. And I'm assuming it also goes along with all the um, stuff you're talking about earlier with trying to prepare them for um, in a controlled environment for these things that aren't natural to their body um, when they do go in that, into an uncontrolled environment. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we, we also do a lot of, um, with our rugby and netball, we also do a lot of uh, at the end of sessions, uh, one of the ladies here works with um, yoga and Pilates and core base work at the end. Um, and sometimes that's a big sell to your big front rowers that just think I just get into a straight position and push hard and I get the job done. But like I said, a scrum is a dynamic thing. So you can be twisted in all sorts of weird positions. If scrums collapse or go to go down, your body gets put into positions that are not normal to be in. So to be able to go through, we've sort of term that is called bulletproofing our athletes at the end where they do extra work on hamstrings they do the core work they do the stretching stuff which just gets them through bigger ranges of movement under control and it's amazing how many times you get these big athletes that are really really strong struggle to get that hold position in very simple uh, pilates or yoga type moves and once you convince them in there to do it once and they can see how good they aren't they soon Mm -hmm come around and go, yeah, we need to do more of this. So that's a big thing as well for helping with that chances of injury injury reduction where you're not just training in how the sport should work, you're also training and doing stuff that if things go wrong, what can be better prepared to, to try and limit the injury that could happen there. Definitely, definitely. Well, one of these... Um Last few questions that are kind of more just, um, I guess, your opinions and advice on some different things. So I guess what, one one thing is, what's the biggest thing you'd say you've changed kind of over the years with uh, your kind of coaching approach and just even going from coaching to high performance manager? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things that's changed, or one of the one of the things that's been pretty consistent right from the start. There's a lot of things come in and out with fads and phases. Like, don't do that exercise is dangerous, and three years later, it's like that exercise is good. It's been proven that it's 
But the thing that I've found that has been consistent is that that recovery and making sure athletes are recovered between sessions and get that rest that's required is the one that's been consistently, you know, they need 24 hours, they need 36 hours. That's always been pretty consistent now where you've got to let your players recover. It's not all about the work you put in in the gym or on the field. That's all fine. But if your players are going into matches fatigued, well, then you're creating that chance for injury to happen. So you can get caught up. And I find a lot, even with um, young um, trainers coming into the gym for a start, like young PTs, when I had my own fitness centre, like once they get their qualifications and that, they'll start with a with a, um, a patient and they first up think that you've got to be fancy to convince them that you're worthwhile. Whereas, mm. again, that simple approach where the person can do the job get out there and leave and go, I'm not too sore. I'm happy to come back with that as opposed to trying to prove that you can do exercise that no one else is doing and destroying that where athletes go out to play and go, I could hardly walk on Saturday morning. Like that's not the idea of it. The idea is to get your athlete out there in the best physical shape they can be. So that rest and recovery is really important. Uh, And I suppose the other thing that's changed a lot has been, um, the use of aids like uh, bands and chains and the you know the progressions of sports science into those fields as well mm-hmm. yeah definitely so yeah um, making sure they're ready for the sport not just broken down super sore um uh and then last last two here what's your i guess biggest piece of piece of advice for athletes in general and then biggest piece of advice for uh, your sports performance sports medicine professionals like I think for athletes, the main thing is is to be patient and be committed. Um, there's no shortcuts to it. You can't just decide to be a great rugby player today and then you get into the weights and you're going to be a superstar tomorrow. The idea is is you've got to understand what you're doing, understand that the people are there to try and help you get there. If they're holding you back a bit, it's for your benefit. It's obviously my benefit too if those young players can go into first grade quicker. But is it right for the player? That's the decisions you've got to make. So I would say that you've got to be committed. You've got to have a really good culture around your training and you've got to have a really good work ethic. Um, I think we've all seen the athletes that at school were superstars and didn't have to work very hard to be brilliant. And the kid that's just in the background that's always had to work hard, once they get out into that open or professional level, semi-professional level, or get that opportunity professionally where the pressure's going to be put on to work hard and get in there. That guy that has just been doing the work all along is going to be the person that makes the gains. The superstar that at school that is now not really the superstar in the level they're at, firstly, to try and convince them to get their work ethic up is hard. The fact that they've never really been committed to that, it's really hard to catch up on those base strength levels from there if you haven't been doing it. So, Regardless of how good you are, the stronger you are and the more ethical you can get in and train and have that good work ethic um, is better for you and makes you a lot more coachable uh, athlete to both your SNC and your coaches. And that also makes a really big difference. Like a lot of times now you'll hear coaches have that no dickhead policy or, you know, we don't want, you know, are you better off with a player that's eight out of 10 that's got a really good Uh, feel about the game has team priorities as opposed to individualized you want those players that are committed to that not the the superstars that can destroy your culture so you just got to be coachable be available to learn and just get in there and work hard and the results will come your way it mightn't seem like it at the start but they definitely will if you work hard Mm. Um, from the from the sports medicine side and the, the staff, you've got to look to work with your doctors and physios um, and trainers with, with their advice and work through those. Uh, it's really good if you get um, really good sports physios and sports doctors to work with because they understand that they'll make the diagnosis, they'll work through with the patient to a certain point and it is probably good for them as well to be able to go, well, if I now hand that person onto these people the SNC coaches here they're going to continue through 
on a more specialised path to get the players back to play. And then I can just, then the physio can just assess them and go, okay, now they've done that. They're right to come back and we're ready to return to play on that. So it's, it's the good clubs are the ones that have got a really good top to bottom um, and bottom to top communication spur where everyone's not trying to impede on anyone else's area. You've got to realise that everyone's working together for the same goal. And realistically, no one's really any more important than anyone else. You've just got to be there with the best options for your athlete to get back on the field in the safest possible way. Yeah, definitely. So just even the team of, not just a team of the sport, but the team of the professionals and staff around it. So. Yeah, exactly right. And a lot of times that's where things can become at odds if if you've got people that have got different opinions and you've really got to address those at the start because once you start losing a culture at a club, it's really hard to get back. And with the clubs I've been involved with, the ones that have got the really good clubs, the good culture, the ones that have got the continued good performance and the and the place where players and coaches want to come to, that's what you want to be is the place where I look at it from a high performance perspective here at Bond Uni and I look at it and go, I'd like to think if, if I had a child or a parent that was bringing a child through to have a look at them coming into one of our, into the university or into one of our sports programs to go, if I bring my child there, they're going to get professional amenities, they're going to get a professional place to work at and they're going to be guided. And whether my child's going to play first grade or whether they're going to play for Australia, it doesn't matter. I'm giving them the best shot. So I suppose my thing here is to be able to provide that environment where coaches and our parents in particular are confident that you can be there and that really become evident when i did the talk here for our netball squad our squad last year had a lot of girls that were still at school somewhere in year 10 or year 11 coming into a semi-pro team and i don't usually talk about my qualifications too much but i found myself doing a talk on what we're going to do at the start of the year and i looked and thought gee half the squad was at school and they've got their parents there so i sort of said okay as a parent, I'd like to know a lot the guy that's going to work with my daughters on the field, on the court and in the gym. So I spent a little bit more time there going through what I've done, how I've gone about it, the fact that I'm a parent as well, um, mm. because some of those things are really important that are not really strength and conditioning issues, but are very big, important issues to do with, with parents as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on, Glenn. I really appreciate it. I'll make sure to link all of the Bond High Performance Center and your information in the show notes. Thanks again. That'd be no problems at all. And love to do that because I sort of look at it now that, you know, the more you can give back to sport uh, and the more that we can lift our sports here in Australia makes them more competitive worldwide. So I'm happy to share whatever. So I'll definitely do that for you. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for going, Glenn. Thank you very much, Patrick. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you've enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning and injury and rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on Facebook at Coach Patrick Wood, on Twitter at Coach Patty Wood, and on my website www.patrick-wood.com. All of this can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening.